When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Native Deodorant believes in keeping their products aluminum-free, and I believe in them. Go to nativedeo.com forward slash brain and get 20% off your first order by using the promo code brain during checkout. That's nativedeo.com forward slash brain. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the overwhelmed brain where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining me today. I think... I'm going to go over some PTSD stuff, not mine, (laughs) but PTSD in general, uh, which I like to refer to sometimes as emotional triggers. Because anytime you are triggered emotionally, you know, something happens, some sort of stimuli out there causes an emotional response in you. It's usually often related to a past trauma. Of some sort. And let me just get this out of the way. Uh, your trauma is different than someone else's trauma. Someone else may have experienced a terrible event in their past, and yours may not be that terrible in the grand scheme of things. But that doesn't make it any less traumatic. What happened to you is personal to you, and you compare it to what else has happened to you in your life. But you probably shouldn't compare it to what other people have experienced unless you're just going around as an ungrateful person all the time. (laughs) I mean, if you are very pessimistic about life and you think that you are getting a bad deal all the time and you're just not grateful for anything, it can be very helpful to see other people's trauma, other people's suffering, their misery, as something so awful that maybe you shouldn't complain. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying if you're one of these people that doesn't have too much gratitude in your life, can't really see the big picture that you might be better off than other people, uh, then it is helpful. And I'm also not saying that you may not be a victim to a lot of things. And there's a possibility that you may still be suffering. There may be things going on in your life that are very real, and are very traumatic, and you are still suffering. All I'm really saying is that when you can't see past your own trauma and your own suffering and see that there are other people that may have also suffered 
and can't ever be grateful for what you do have, then it is helpful to see other people suffering so that you can look at yourself and be grateful for what you have. I mean, a good example, we have a good friend, a young kid, he has Down syndrome, has undergone an operation to fuse some of his vertebrae because he has fallen and um, he broke his back technically. And this would be his, I don't know how many surgeries he's had, but his bone structure isn't the greatest. He's had accidents before. And this poor kid, I mean, he's not a kid. He's he's an adult now, but he's a kid at heart. Uh, this poor kid, this poor guy has gone through so many surgeries. He used to be flexible. He used to be mobile. He used to be able to do anything that any young boy can do. Uh, however, over the years, he's had all these operations that have stiffened his back that, you know, they got metal in his back now and he's lost a lot of mobility. And I have never, ever heard him complain once. In fact, he brightens the room with his smile and he says things so endearing like, hey, look, I can move my arm. I mean, when I hear something like that, it makes me stop and think about how I view the world and how I think that I have problems that are so bad that uh, I have to stress about them. But here's this kid that keeps getting his mobility decreased. And his latest operation, we thought he might end up paralyzed or worse. They actually thought he might die. And so when I think about any stress or problems in my life, I think about this kid who is just happy he can move his arm. That to me just touches my heart. And that's why I'm, I'm telling you this, because if everything does look dismal, if you are feeling any sort of stress or anxiety, that there are other people out there that, you know, certainly have gone through a lot. And again, not to minimize what you've gone through. I'm going to repeat that is that your trauma is no worse or better than somebody else's trauma because your trauma happened to you. And all you have is what you are have gone through in your life, and that's all you can compare it to. But when you're so stuck in the obsessive thought process of how tough life is, it can be helpful to remember that there are other people that have gone through a lot worse and are still going through a lot worse, and it's going to even get worse. We don't know if this wonderful person that had this operation today is going to have the longest life. I don't know. But right now, when he sees someone he's never met at the grocery store and says, you're beautiful, instead of thinking about all the restrictions that have been placed on him and all the operations he's gone through and all the challenges that he has in his life, he just comes out and says something like that, reminding us all what is sometimes better to focus on. I mean, yes, we have to think about our problems and figure them out and try to find solutions. Absolutely. And we may not view our traumatic memories as he does, but why can't we? Why can't we just live for today? He's very present. I mean, very present moment. He sees something. He says something about it. It's almost as if everything is brand new to him. And Yes, we could all look at it and go, well, you know, he's got Down syndrome, cognitive disability. He probably can't think of yesterday or tomorrow. But I tell you what, this guy has a good memory. Because <laughs> you can tell him something. And he goes, no, I know exactly how to do it. And he'll show you. 
So he's got something that a lot of us don't have. I know he's very in touch with the present moment and everything seems like it's an experience for him and he just gets amazed and wowed by a lot of things. And I just think we can take something from that. And I love that. So I say that just as a reminder that when you can't get out of your own own obsessive thoughts, that maybe it can help to think about someone that figured out how to be very present, even though he's gone through a lot. And let me come back to my original point, which is your trauma is yours. It was real. And your trauma may be something as simple as someone catching you uh, drawing on the wall of your mom and dad's house, someone yelling at you, uh, someone hurting you, someone physically hurting you, someone assaulting you, either as a child or as you grew older. But uh, what this old trauma or all, all these old events do is they create sort of like a, a marker in time. And that marker has a lot connected to it. That marker has the emotional state that you are in. It has probably what you saw or what you heard or both. It has probably what you were thinking at the time. It's almost like it froze everything in place in that moment. And that frozen memory became the marker so that when that dangerous situation seemed to appear again, you would have a recollection of it so that you would avoid it. I mean, that's a fight or flight mechanism so that you don't get into danger again. If you stepped on a bee's nest when you were younger and that memory froze inside your mind, then you probably, even unconsciously, walk through a field a lot differently than you used to. Like when I used to walk outside barefoot, when you're a kid and nothing ever bites you, then you don't have anything to be afraid of. You'll probably walk barefoot all your life. Until something bites you, <laughs> then you'll think, I better not walk barefoot anymore. When you're older, you could probably handle a bite a lot better. But when you're young and something bites you, I mean, this can happen at any age, of course, but you get bit, you're running, and you think, I never want to go in that field again. And from that day on, you wear shoes outside. Or sometimes you're just very present, and you just wear no shoes again and hope you don't get bit again or don't even think about getting bit again. Or maybe you're a person who thinks, well, you know, I had no shoes on. Of course, I could get bit or I may not. There's a number of ways to look at it, but it's a good example. You know, something simple as a bug bite could have hurt you as a child, but as you grew older, that memory stayed with you and that marker in your brain at that time could re-traumatize you later. It's almost like deja vu. Like, um, let's just say that you're about to walk through a field today and you decide to take your shoes off and it brings you back 30 years when you were a child or however long it was for you. And you think, oh my God, last time I did this, I got bit. I better not do it. That's pretty much a post-traumatic response. I had trauma in the past and after that trauma, I'm having this emotional response again. That emotional trigger is popping up. Oh, what do I do now? Now I have to deal with this emotional trigger. So that's something I want to discuss today is how do we deal with this post-trauma or these emotional triggers so that we can get through them so we don't keep experiencing them. I'll tell you this, it's not easy to get out of it. I mean, there are some severe cases of PTSD 
of course, we've all heard of people in the military coming back having post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, that's where we hear the term a lot because there's a lot of awful things that go on when there's war. And so these soldiers come back and they have these flashbacks and they don't know how to deal with them or they do know how to deal with them, but it's still painful or it's still scary to them. And I definitely feel for those people because they've been through a lot. And we can use that as an example too. If we're so stuck in our own obsessive thoughts about our own problems, we can think, yeah, but I didn't go through that. It can be helpful. I mean, that's not the solution, uh, but it can be helpful to realize that there are other people that have suffered worse. But again, let me reiterate, your trauma is what happened to you and can feel just as bad as someone else's trauma, even though it may not have been, quote, as bad as theirs. So the reason I'm telling you this is that your trauma is yours, is that when somebody comes along and tells you, that's not so bad, you didn't go through something that bad, so what's your problem? When they ask that question or say something like that, I want you to be okay to validate your own trauma, your own history, and tell yourself, they don't know my trauma, and they don't know what I went through, and they don't know how much I suffered or how much I'm still suffering today. They don't know, and they probably won't ever know, and I may not ever be able to convince them, so I'm not going to try. So this is where you kind of start discerning who is safe to share your traumatic memories or your painful memories because you don't want to tell the wrong people about what happened to you if they dismiss it or invalidate it. I mean, sometimes you find out they're the wrong person after the fact, but hopefully you have friends, family, loved ones that you can share something that happened to you in your past so that it doesn't have to be yours and yours alone. That can be very helpful. This is one of the things I do on the air. Sometimes I will tell you things that might be going through my head that I might be carrying around with me so that I can release it from my system so that I can express it and hopefully release it from my system. Doesn't mean it gets released. Sometimes it can, but uh, just being able to get it out of my system, I look at it as releasing the pressure that has built up from holding on to it. I mean, a good example, and this is a minor trauma that happened to me. It's so minor that you can look at me and say the same thing as the example I just gave. Uh, you could ask me, what? why were you traumatized by that? That's so minor. But for me, it was a real trauma, and I had to deal with it for about, I don't know, a year, maybe two. It was a long time that I was emotionally triggered by this. And thinking about it now, yes, it was minor. But thinking about when I went through it, it was not. And so this happened when I was, I don't know, 20, 21. My friend and I visited our friends in college, and we stayed in their dorm overnight. And in the morning, we had to, I think it was go back to work or something like that. But we had to leave early. So we got up. I think it was around 7 or earlier than 7. We got up and walked down the hall and opened the exit door to leave. And every single alarm on the campus went off. <laughs> I mean, if I could imitate it now, wah, wah, it was just, it freaked the heck out of us. And we ran. We ran. No one was up. 
But now the entire campus was going to wake up because of the alarm we set off. <laughs> we ran across the field. I don't even remember half of it, but we ran across the field, ran to his car and drove off. And our hearts were beating and we were just breathing heavily. And we didn't know what to think or what to say or what to it's almost like we robbed a bank. That's, that's what it felt like. It felt like we were running out of a bank with a bag full of cash and uh, running to the getaway car and taking off. And of course, no one was chasing us because it was just a door alarm. But back then, we didn't expect it. And I don't even know how it affected him. But for me, I was so affected by that single incident that it took me, like I said, years to get past the fear of opening doors. It was just a simple thing. It was so minor. But every time I walked into a door, mostly with stores, because stores had the bigger, more reinforced doors that we went through, I would have to think two or three times before opening the door. That marker was set. And every time there was a similar incident in my life after that, up until it started going away, I would be afraid to walk through doors. I would stop before I opened the door and think, what if it has an alarm on it? What am I going to do? And again, there was really no reason for us to run. We had just left that dorm too early and we went out the wrong door because they alarmed the doors until like 7 or 8 a.m. And we were just before that time. So it wasn't really a big deal. But back then, it felt like we were running from a bank robbery, like I said, and I did not process it. And I didn't. I didn't process it at all until a couple of years later. And I'm going to share with you how I processed it in a moment. But I wanted to tell that story because it can be something as minor as that. There was no danger. There was no one chasing us with guns. There wasn't even a soul around because everyone was asleep. It was just a big fear thing. Like, oh my God, if everyone wakes up, what are they going to think of us? I don't know what I was thinking back then. But I ran faster than I have ever run in my life. <laughs> and uh, from that point on, I had to deal with that door phobia. But I was able to get over it. And I don't even think about it nowadays. Every now and then I will. But it's not a fear. But it does cause hesitation. So sometimes PTSD doesn't disappear. I mean, often it doesn't disappear unless you do some real work, real deep work on it. And when my PTSD regarding doors finally dissipated because of how I handled it, I was able to open any door without even thinking about it. And every now and then, like I said, today, it'll pop up in my mind and I'll think, whatever. I mean, that's not going to happen. And even if it does, it's no big deal. That's what I would hope that anyone with any emotional trigger gets to, is that, yes, it can still pop in your mind, but it's only a thought. It's not a fight or flight thing. It's just a, oh, you know, I used to be afraid of doors and now I'm not. That thought can pop in my mind for sure. But it doesn't hold me back. It doesn't make me pause, at least not for any more than a couple nanoseconds. And then I just walk through the door and it's over. I don't even think about it after that. But I used to stop, either let somebody else walk through the door first or not walk through it until I was actually able to process the moment because the PTSD took me right back to that moment. And I thought, oh yeah, doors have alarms. I have to be careful going through this door. And then I had to remind myself, oh wait, 
that was that door on that day at that time, not this door, not on a 24-hour convenience store door. <laughs> that would be probably bad for business if people opened the door and the alarm went off. So I'm not thinking logically, but this is what PTSD can do. It can put us in that state that we were in at that time. And even our thoughts go back to that time. That's why when some soldiers come back from war, I mean, and you see this on the movies a lot, they think they're actually there. They're hiding beside their bed and they're ready to attack or they're ready to defend or whatever it is because they feel like they're really there. Their brain goes into that initial state of trauma and reenacts what's happening. And this can be something major in your life or minor, like I was saying. So when we come back, I'll share with you what I did to get past my old trauma, to get past my old PTSD. And what I still do to this day, whenever something traumatizes me, like uh, climbing up a ladder. When we got the house that we're in now, I had to climb the ladder and clean the gutters one day. And I got to the top of the ladder, <laughs> looking down from the second floor, and I couldn't move. And I didn't like it. And I didn't want to do it again. And uh, I was afraid. I was thinking, what? I'm a 48-year-old guy at the time. I was 48, looking down from two stories, and I'm afraid I can't move. I don't want to go up the ladder. I don't want to go down the ladder. I just want to stay here frozen solid <laughs> because that will protect me. Now, whatever I was thinking at the time. And um, I got over that fear too. And so the solution I have is very simple, and I'm going to talk about it. But when I come back, I'm going to read you a couple of things from a couple of emails that have to do with old traumas, PTSD, emotional triggers, and what the people who wrote to me might want to do to start to heal from them so that they can move on with their life. Because emotional triggers can hold you back and cause you to hesitate and not move forward. And if you can't move forward, then guess where you are? You're stuck in the trauma, or at least the effects of the trauma. And you don't want to be there. You don't want to stay stuck there. So let's talk about that when we get back. Be right back after this. I believe in having clean options and I support companies who innovate products that break the norm and help clean up my daily routine and that is why I love Native. It's not the only reason, but it is one of the biggest reasons and when I told my girlfriend about Native deodorant, she said, okay, you have another sponsor on the show, that's great. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I said, Native is a clean deodorant, they're vegan, they're not tested on animals, they're cruelty free. And they got some amazing scents. And she practically tackled me and said, get some of this deodorant. <laughs> because she is all about recycling and taking care of the planet and taking care of herself. And uh, working on doing what she can to support any company that does the same. And those values aligned. And of course, I am all about that too. But she is really about it. <laughs> She's really on top of that stuff. And um, I just count on her to make sure that we're going in the right direction 
with what we're doing in our house, what we're doing with our bodies. I mean, she buys like healthy foods and things like that. I mean, it's not that we're in perfect health, but we do what we can. And native is something that we have decided to adopt in our household. And she will never go back. I mean, she tells me, order more native (laughs) all the time. And I do. We both love the coconut and vanilla. I love smelling it on her, especially. And uh, they have other scents as well, such as lavender and rose, cucumber and mint. I'd like to try that, actually. And citrus and herbal. And um, I think I said this on the last native spot I talked about this, where they had these mini deodorants. that you, They're like travel deodorants that you can get. She got like five of those different scents. And she was so excited because she got to try each and every scent. And she loves them all. So... We're converts in our house, and we definitely prefer putting clean products on our body. And I recommend you do, too. So if you want to try Native, they are risk-free. Every product comes with uh, free shipping in the U.S. and a 30-day return in exchange. So try them out. Go to nativedo.com forward slash brain. That's nativedo.com forward slash brain. And make sure to use a promo code brain when checking out, and you'll get 20% off your first order. They've got over 14,000 five-star reviews for a good reason. Check them out today, nativedeo.com forward slash brain. Use the promo code brain during checkout to get 20% off your first order today. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to read you a couple emails. I'm actually only going to read just a portion of these emails because one of them is a little long and I want to get to the part where we actually talk about the question here. And she says, my past keeps rearing its ugly head. So she told me the story in her email about how she was in an emotionally abusive relationship. And because of that, she was a shell of her former self when she got out of it and she suffered from depression. And um, it's been two years and she feels like she's grown and healed a lot and now she's in this new relationship and it's fantastic but she says my past keeps rearing its ugly head I find myself questioning myself all the time asking myself is he going to hurt me too is my new boyfriend going to treat me the same way as my ex did can I trust him she says deep down I know I can but more importantly how do I trust myself There's so much information out there telling you how to identify a toxic relationship, but nothing on how to let your past go. How do you trust yourself again and not allow your past to ruin your future? I want to move on, and every time I think I have, something triggers me, and I feel like I'm back to square one. I need to move away from the past and live in the now. Not for my current relationship, but more importantly, for me. I want to be able to trust again. I want to be able to trust that not everyone is like my ex. I know that he was the one that was unhappy and he was projecting all of his negativity onto me. I want to trust that this will never happen to me again because I won't allow it. I want to trust that I do know the warning signs and I won't ignore them or justify them again. I want to live fully in the now. I want to live in the current and not my past. I want to be able to put all that negativity behind me where it belongs and accept that I do deserve to be happy and also to accept that what happened to me wasn't my fault. And that not everyone is like my ex. People like him are in the minority and not normal. How do I get past all this? Okay, so that's all I'm going to read about that email. Like I said, she shared some more, but uh, that's enough. I mean, all of that is a lot to deal with in her life. And so I 
want to address some of this because this is definitely PTSD or being emotionally triggered by things that are going on in her current relationship. And it's been a while since she wrote this. So maybe her relationship has improved and maybe she has improved. I'll find out in a bit when I write her back. But this happens to a lot of us. We get into another relationship. We get into another situation, maybe another job, another city that we live in, anything new that has a similarity to the past in any way. For her, she had a past relationship that was abusive, and now she has a current relationship that isn't, but her past keeps rearing its ugly head, like she said. And she wants to know, how do I get past these thoughts and these feelings and these old triggers, and how do I get into a space of trust? So here's where I go with this. When it comes to getting over an emotional trigger or getting over an old past trauma where you want to be able to live life without having to jump right back into that marker that we talked about earlier and not hesitate and not trust that things are going to go better this time, I think there's a two-pronged approach to this. And the first prong is expressing the trauma. And I'll talk about that in a second. And the second prong is repeating the event that caused the trauma. Yikes. (laughs) Not the actual event. You know, I don't want her to go back to the abusive relationship. But let's just go through this. Uh, The first one is expressing the trauma. Who do you express it to? Well, A, you acknowledge it to yourself. B, you acknowledge it to the person that's involved. Because if she's in a trusting, loving relationship, the person that's involved would probably be supportive. I'm going to assume that this person she's talking about would probably be supportive. So how would you do it? I think what needs to happen when you have multiple traumas, because when you're in an abusive relationship, you're going to have multiple traumas. There are going to be times when you're in your car and you have a PTSD moment because you remember fighting or getting abused in the car. Then you're going to be shopping somewhere and you'll have an emotional trigger there. Then you're going to be at the park and you'll have an emotional trigger there. It's going to happen. So we have to acknowledge that there are going to be multiple times, in most cases, that these traumas will reappear and you will relive them. It's not fun. I I get it. But at the same time, we have to remember that our brain did exactly what it needed to do to help us remember the danger. So the brain puts the marker and says, this is dangerous. Remember what you saw, remember what you heard, remember what you felt, remember what you were thinking, and take this into the future so we can avoid this next time. But then we generalize it, right? We get into another situation that's not the same, but has similarities, and suddenly we're re-traumatized. But it's not the same. Why am I re-traumatized? I want to be able to get through this. Just tell yourself, it's okay. I'll get through this. It's okay. This isn't the same situation. It's going to take some time to heal. So the first prong of expressing means when you get triggered, when something happens, if you have someone to express it to, and if you don't, I highly recommend you find someone because it's going to be helpful. If you have someone that's loving and supporting that will listen to you and not be judgmental and help you get through it, great. If you don't, maybe you have to pay someone. Maybe it's a therapist or maybe you can talk to a family member or a best friend or whoever it is. Uh, but you want to find someone to express it to, to get it out of your system. I look at old trauma as a pressure in your system. And that pressure is also part of the marker. So the marker was made, let's just say, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 
and that pressure, which is part of the marker, stayed in your system for all that time. And the reason I call it pressure is because when you have an emotional trigger, there's a lot of energy behind it. It's like, oh, oh, crap. <laughs> you, know, you might have that thought or that feeling. But where did that come from? That's not something that just came out of nowhere. You had it inside you. I believe that pressure is also stored. And every time you repress it or push it back down without expressing it, it reinforces the pressure. I wouldn't say necessarily it amplifies it, but it certainly reinforces it or keeps it as strong as it was, but maybe slightly less. Like the initial trauma is probably going to have the most pressure. And then from that point on, you might have 75% of the pressure, but it never gets lower because it's always there. That marker is continuing into the future with you. Okay, so first prong approach, express it. What does that mean? That means, in this person's case, she tells her new boyfriend, I've had a lot of abuse in my past. And there are going to be times that you do things that are going to make me feel unsafe. I'm going to be right back in that moment when I was being abused. And I need to know that you're going to be there to help me through it. I mean, you don't have to say it this way, but this is one approach. I want to know that if you'll be there to help me through it because I need someone to help me heal from this. And I'm not saying that you have to help me heal, but I just need to express this to you, not only so you'll know where I am when it's happening, but also you'll know that it, the reason I'm reacting this way is not you. And you can also say what I've already said in this episode, there are similarities in the events that I experienced that were traumatic. For example, when we were in the car that day and we were arguing, it brought me right back to that time when he did this to me. So I want to let you know that I may overreact like that and I need you to be there to be understanding and trust me to go through this process because when I have this reaction, I just need to be able to share it with you and tell you I'm being triggered right now. And when you do that, Hopefully, that understanding person will go, oh, yes, of course, I will be there. I will listen, and I will help you process it and help you get through it. They may not have the ability to help you heal or process it or whatever, but just to be able to get it out of your system helps release the pressure. It lowers the pressure. The pressure is going to be there for a while because it is a well-worn road that was driven on many, many times. I mean, multiple traumas can be the same as one trauma. You can be beaten over and over and over again, and you might be afraid of being beaten, even though it may never happen again. Just the same as being beaten once can have the same effect. So it can happen multiple times or it can happen once, and it's still a well-worn road. It's like a rut that your neurons travel through and remind you that it is unsafe. So the first prong approach is to express so that you give the pressure a chance to release. And the most important part about expressing is to do it as close to the moment of the emotional trigger as possible. For example, let's just say that I felt uh, jealous suddenly about something my girlfriend is doing. It might be embarrassing to tell her that, but it would be hugely beneficial for me to go, whoa, something's going on, I'm feeling jealous. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say that out loud at first because I would want to take some time to process it. But I might ask myself questions. Why am I feeling jealous? 
what's going on here? And I'll kind of explore that. I'll drill into it and I'll ask myself, okay, what is causing this jealousy? Why am I jealousy about that? What did that person do that made me jealous? I'm going to explore that and try to process it myself. And then when I can't get past the jealousy, if I don't get anywhere with it, at least I've explored it. So I got past step one. Step two is going to be the expression part where I tell my girlfriend because I have a loving relationship with a supportive person that's going to listen and help me walk through it, which is what I hope everyone can find in their life. Like I said, if you can't find someone, you might have to pay someone to to listen to this and help you process it. But hopefully you have someone in your life that you can trust and walk through this with. Fortunately, I have someone and she's also, and this is helpful, part of the trigger. So she is in the formula for my jealousy. For example, some guy really likes her and keeps calling her and keeps texting her. I'm just making up a scenario. This hasn't happened as far as I know. (laughs) But let's just say it happened. And I find out and she's always talking to him and I'm like, okay, this is getting out of hand. You're always talking to him. You're, You're taking time away from us. What's going on here? I'm feeling like this is a a big thing. So I'm going to approach her and talk to her about that. But I'm also going to say, you know, I'm having these feelings. I'm getting a little angry. I feel maybe like I'm jealous. I want to share this with you because I don't really think I have a reason to be jealous, but I want to bring this up to you. And um, it's a little different with us because I don't really have too much trauma left over from my past. I've worked on it a lot. But let's just say that my girlfriend knew about my old trauma. Let's just say that she knew that I was constantly worried or obsessed about the relationship because maybe people cheated on me before or something like that. And so I was always worried that might happen again. There's some PTSD for you. So I expressed to her, I want you to know that sometimes I'm going to get this way because this happened in my past. But I want to share this with you, not because I think that you're going to do anything, It's because this old stuff keeps coming up for me and I don't know how to deal with it yet. So this is kind of another approach. I I don't know how to deal with it yet. So I want to let you know so I can at least share it with you and get it out of my system. And she may not have an answer. She may say something that doesn't satisfy me at all. She may say, well, look, he's a good friend of mine and we're talking about all this stuff. I'm enjoying our time talking together. So I'm not going to stop talking to him. That might be her answer. And if it is, I would have to still deal with any PTSD on jealousy or anything like that and figure out where I am with that. Because it's possible I could get to the point where I go, you know, every night for three hours, taking time away from us. That's a problem. (laughs) This isn't about jealousy anymore. This is about taking time away from us. So now I turn it into something else, which is good because now I'm expressing my relationship boundaries and my values and I want us to be together more and It's taking time and energy away from us, so let's talk about it. But if that weren't the case, if it wasn't about my relationship boundaries and my values and things I'm okay talking about, then I need to express it. So this is the first prong is expressing. Hopefully, you can express. And for example, this person who was abused, she has a very legitimate reason that she would be emotionally triggered. You know I've been abused in the past and... They're going to be seemingly benign things that happen that trigger me. So I just want to let you know that this can happen. And I'm sorry in advance. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, you don't really have to apologize, but it can help to be sort of a softener for what could happen and what this person has to deal with. So she might go on to say, I hope you understand and hope that you can 
listen to me and support me going through this. And this brings up sort of the side point, which is really a direct point. When you have someone that's part of the equation for the emotional trigger, for example, she's in a relationship with this person who is the stimuli for her triggers because she was in a relationship before who her partner was the stimuli. So now she has a new partner. So partner equals stimuli in the brain sometimes. The person in the equation that is also the stimuli has to be a somewhat special person. And I mean that in the sense of being very patient and being very understanding uh, and being very supportive as these triggers come up. Because in this case, he might take it all personally. And we all do this. No matter how much patience you have, if somebody gets triggered over and over again, you're going to be like, okay, this is enough. I've had enough. Like if my girlfriend said, you keep saying how jealous you are. And it's been going on for months. I've had enough. You know, I'm sorry you feel this way, but I can't do this anymore. It can get to that. I understand that. It absolutely can get to that. And sometimes if the person says that, if it's been months and months and months and it's the same thing over and over again and you're not getting any better over it, they might get to that point. They may get to that threshold where they say, no more. I've had enough. You, you can't do this to me anymore. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it is the most helpful thing, and sometimes it doesn't work at all. I mean, it doesn't help you. The reason it can be helpful is it can be a pattern interrupt. It can interrupt your old thought patterns. So if I'm constantly thinking about, oh my God, is she talking to him again? Oh, what's going to happen to us? And she says, you know what? I've had enough. Stop it. Stop bothering me about it. If you have a problem with it, it's your problem, not mine. She said that to me before, actually, <laughs> not about jealousy, but she makes it known that she's had enough and she doesn't know what else to do. And that's fair because we don't want to introduce our trauma so much to the other person that our trauma becomes their trauma. You can have the most understanding person try to help, but they will eventually reach their limit because now all they can think about is your trauma as well. And now they're part of the PTSD. So it can be very difficult to continue to hear the same thing over and over again and being a part of the equation, thinking that there's nothing you can do. You've tried and tried and tried and you've listened, you've supported, but somebody can't get to that point where they've had enough. In the case I was just talking about where my girlfriend says, you know what, I've had enough, that's going to break my pattern. That's going to interrupt my obsession and make me think of something else for the first time maybe. So if you're on the other side of this and somebody is constantly triggered and you can't get past it, you might have to get to that point because where's the quality of life? Where's the quality of any relationship or the quality of your time together? If it goes away and that's all it's about, you know, the emotional triggers and things like that, then yeah, you got sucked into a problem that maybe isn't really yours to deal with anymore which is why it's important that this other person might need to talk to somebody else or might need to go to therapy. But in this case where my girlfriend might say, that's enough, I'm going to think, oh, what do you mean that's enough? I thought you were understanding. I thought you were going to support me through this. And she might say, yeah, but I can only take so much. I can only take so much blaming. I can only take so much of your glares, or your anger. It's enough. I don't want to do it anymore. That's going to shake my foundation. It's going to make me think, 
oh, uh, well, I don't want to lose this relationship. I don't want her to leave. I don't want her to be mad at me. It might jostle things around so much that the obsession stops. Sometimes this needs to happen. I'm not saying it's a good solution, and I'm not saying that it'll, it'll always work this way, but it's worked this way for me in the past. I can't remember the incident, but I remember either my girlfriend or my wife saying, you know what? I can't take it anymore. It's too bad. It's your problem. If you have a problem with it, it's tough. I, there's nothing I can do. I mean, she worked with me. She worked with me. She listened to me. She supported me, but enough was enough. And again, I forget the incident, but she said, I can't handle it anymore. You're going to have to figure this out on your own. And if you can't, then I can't be around. I have to leave. I, I can't stand the way you treat me or something like that. And that shook up my thought process so much that I stopped obsessing about whatever it was. So that is a possible solution. It's not a pleasant one and it doesn't always work, but it certainly changes your priorities because we tend to prioritize obsessive thoughts and we think, oh my God, this is happening again. Oh, that's all I can think about. Oh, I don't want it to happen. What do I do to change it? And we just can't get out of that. And sometimes it takes someone coming along and kicking our butt and saying, you're going to have to change it or this isn't going to happen anymore. We're not a couple or you need to get out of my house or if it's not a relationship, you're risking your job or I'm not going to be there for you anymore. Whatever it is, it could jostle you enough to shake you from that thought process and get you out of that line of thinking. That can be helpful. So if it happens, don't see it so much as a bad thing. See it as an opportunity to reprioritize. And when you do, you may stop being obsessive altogether or at least the old trauma coming back. It can happen. Coming back to expressing, yes, vital. I think it's important to get this pressure out of you, express it, and hopefully you have someone that will listen and support you so that when it comes up, you're talking about it in the moment. You're expressing it. The second prong is something I mentioned that didn't sound pleasant, was re-experiencing the trauma, but not exactly the same trauma re-experiencing it in a way of introducing the elements of the old trauma just to help you feel different about those old elements and hopefully start changing the patterns in your mind so that those old elements don't trigger old events. And I'll use the ladder example to explain what I mean by that. I climbed a ladder to the second story of our house and I looked down and I couldn't move. I was frozen. And it's funny because even 10 years before that, I was climbing ladders, no problem. But I didn't do it in a while and it was a new environment and I was outside and just little things that were different. But it was very similar to something I must have experienced when I was younger. But it was certainly a fear of heights or at least a fear of falling. It was one of those. And I was frozen at the top of the ladder. And I eventually made my way down slowly each step very careful, very present in that moment, trying to decline one rung at a time. And I made it to the bottom and I breathed a sigh of relief and I felt better. Then I realized I had to move the ladder and go up again. So I did. I moved the ladder and then one rung at a time, climbed up until I reached the top. And again, I was frozen. And then I had to come back down and do it again and again. So what I'm doing is reintroducing the trauma over and over. 
Now, this isn't something I'm saying that you should do because this could be harmful to you. This could put you in a post-traumatic shock or something. This could reintroduce it so badly that you can't handle it. You could fall off the ladder. And I don't want to be responsible for that. I don't want you to do things that put you in any harm. But I do want to say that the more you introduce something that you survive, the more you'll get comfortable with it and the less traumatic it will be. Again, this is not my advice. It's just a philosophy, if you want to call it that. I did it in my life. Doesn't mean you should get professional advice. I tell you at the beginning of every show. But when I was done climbing the ladder that day, it got easier and easier. And at the end, I had no fear. I mean, I had some fear, but it wasn't the same. It was different. When I got to the top, I looked down and thought, well, I'm not afraid of being this high anymore. I mean, this is sort of the end of the third hour or something of climbing the ladder. The height didn't bother me. I did think, well, what if the ladder slips? And that kind of scared me a little bit. But for some reason, the emotional trigger was gone. I mean, I know the reason. The reason is, you know that well-worn road of trauma that sticks with us from that marker in our past? I was filling up the groove from the tires, if you want to look at it that way. The rut that was always there, that the neurons traveled through over and over again to remind me of that old trauma, was starting to fill up with something new, something different. Something I could look at and say to myself, it didn't happen this time. I didn't fall this time. I didn't die this time. Something I could reinforce inside of me that reminded me that I made it and I was safe. And climbing up the ladder didn't kill me. And climbing up the ladder again also didn't kill me. And then doing it a third time and a fourth time and a 20th time, I finally got to the point where the rut of fear was filled and I felt better because the fear disappeared. And I proved to myself that I could do it. So I reintroduced the trauma by doing it over and over again, and it helped the trauma go away. Now, does this mean in five years I'll climb another ladder and, it'll, and it won't be there? Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. But I can just do the same thing and get past it. But how does this work in other situations, like this person who experienced emotional abuse in her past relationship? That's a different scenario, isn't it? Because I don't want her to ask her boyfriend to abuse her. That's not what I want at all. But this is where it's important to combine what she expressed with the reintroduction of the trauma in a way that's safe. And how does she do that? Whenever the trigger comes up, I want her to note everything that triggered her. I don't know if it was the way he looked at her. I don't know if it was the way he used his hands, how he stepped into the room, the inflection of his voice, what he said, whatever it was, she has to take notes in her mind or on paper and write down exactly what was triggering about that moment. Because these are going to be the seemingly benign components of the emotional trigger that will allow her to start to take it apart and have a better response next time maybe a little bit of healing, a little less pressure. So you write down or take note of all the components that triggered you so that you can reintroduce an element 
in a safer way and under your control so that you know it's coming and you have an opportunity to face it head on without it surprising you. And what I mean by that, let's just say that you're afraid of snakes. For example, when I was a kid, I was sitting on the front porch, I think it was a couple steps on this front porch, and I was just playing these uh, bongo drums. And this snake appeared from nowhere by my feet. I don't know if I threw the bongo drums or I just jumped up and ran, but I ran. <laughs> I ran to the front door around the house and I told my mom, I saw a snake, I saw a snake. And she said, I've never seen you run so fast. And so uh, I told her that the snake was there. And from that point on, I was afraid of snakes. However, I was quick to get over that because I was able to process that pretty quickly and realize the snake never intended to bite me. And, you know, it was easier for me. That wasn't really a traumatic moment. But let's just say it was. Let's just say that I was still afraid of snakes. The next time I was emotionally triggered, I would ask myself, okay, what about this triggered me? I mean, that's a good question. Or what are the components about this that triggered me? And if I was being triggered by a fear of a snake, uh, I might say, well, a snake triggered me. <laughs> so that might be the only component. Or I could be on the stairs and I think about it and I get emotionally triggered like, oh, what if there's a snake under these stairs? So the stairs are part of the formula that triggered me. And so I would add that to my list. Um, what else is there? Well, it's outside. It's daytime. Okay, that triggered me too. I could just write down these seemingly benign things, but they're all part of the formula for the trigger. So I have these three or four things. And now that I do, I can introduce these elements in a different way, in a safer way. So I might go out and buy a rubber snake and I might put it under the stairs. And as I'm walking down the stairs, I know it's there. But this time it's different. I'm reintroducing the trauma in a way that's safe and under my control. And I'm also filling up that old rut, that old uh, rut of trauma, that PTSD. I'm rewriting the neural pathways, the old patterns, so that it changes my experience. And so I do that over and over again until I realize, oh, there's really nothing to fear. And if that's not enough, let's just say I'm still afraid of snakes after that. I might have to go handle some snakes. I might have to face my fear head on. This has helped me, actually. I've done that. When I used to work in a pet store a long time ago, I was able to handle snakes that I knew didn't bite me. <laughs> and that was easier. And once I got to know them and understood them, I wasn't afraid of them anymore. I had a very similar experience with spiders. <laughs> spiders are always running away from me, which means they're probably more scared of me than I am of them. So that has helped me, and there was a big incident that happened a long time ago. But um, I learned to get over most of my fear with spiders just by being around them, understanding them, studying up on them, and figuring out that they are actually more helpful than harmful. But coming back to this person who might have to write down the components of her emotional triggers that come up, it might be the way he looked at her, what he said, and the inflection and in his voice, everything I said before. But I want her to write those down. While it was in this room, the room was blue, and the couch was over there, and you were looking at me. You were giving me this glare. You know, she's going to talk to her boyfriend like this. And when you gave me this glare and you said these words, that's what triggered me. So what can they do 
hopefully he's that understanding, supportive, loving person, and we'll say, okay, let's recreate that. And she's going to go in that same position, but now it's under her control. She's going to say, okay, go over there, stand there, and say the following. And when it's recreated, she can ask herself, okay, what am I thinking right now? I'm thinking that he's going to hurt me. But, you know, this could be something she says, but he hasn't. So recreating this has actually replayed a scene from her old trauma. Not the same person, but the scene is slightly different, but it has similar elements, which can help change the pattern of her old thinking. So this is part of the two-prong approach where you express what's going on, you talk about all the elements of it, and then you reintroduce the trauma. And in her case, that could be a way to do it. But what's going to happen is the more you talk about it, the more you express it, the more you name the elements, the less power they have over you. And especially when you decide to take control and reintroduce the elements under your control, just like I reintroduced the element of climbing a ladder over and over again, but it was under my control at my pace and I could go as fast or as slow as I want and it was always slow. And then when I got to the top, I could stay there as long as I want and I could move down as long as I want. But it took that for me to finally get it that I wasn't going to die. Now, it could be a fear of death for her or it could be just a fear of getting hit or it could be just a fear of being yelled at. But what it takes is for her to have control over the circumstances and to reintroduce those circumstances in her own way so that she can start to realize that it is safe and that he is safe. And it's important for him to understand that this may need to happen several times. Not that you're going to set up the stage every single time and have him recreate it. I mean, most of this is just going to be expression. I mean, when she expresses her trauma to him. Most of it is going to be her saying, you know, when you gave me that look, it reminded me of him and when he did this. And he might go, you mean this look? And she might say, yes, don't do that, don't do that. And they might have a conversation about it, but it's important to have that conversation because the more you repress it, the more that rut stays deep and it never gets filled in. And this is why it's important to express and release the pressure and kind of go through this. So it's not always about let's set up the stage and get everyone in their positions and action. <laughs> now let's do it again. But think of all the traumas or the phobias that you might have had in your life and reintroducing them, exposing yourself to those elements over and over again will help reinforce the trust and rebuild the trust and the feeling of safety so that you aren't so much under their spell anymore. And you could require professional help. I mean, don't get me wrong. This, some of the stuff isn't easy. Some of the stuff you can't recreate. I mean, imagine the person who was sexually abused. It is hard to recreate those elements, but you can recreate the benign elements. Like we certainly don't want a dangerous person in the room when you do this. It kind of reminds me when I was abused when I was four. My stepfather held me down and he was rubbing my dirty underwear in my face. It was awful. It took place in this house I used to live in in Massachusetts. And one day, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, I decided to take a trip to Massachusetts. And I saw the old house I used to live in. And that memory popped up and I thought, whoa, that happened in that house. This is a perfect opportunity to address this right now because that's an old trauma that I probably need to heal from. 
And so I approached the house, and the owners of the house were outside working on the garden or the bushes, or they were trimming stuff up. And I walked up to him, and I said, you know, I used to live here. And the guy looked at me, and he goes, you did? I said, yeah, when I was a little kid. I remember the kitchen being over there and the bathroom being over there. And he goes, oh, my God, come in. <laughs> and he invited me in. And I thought, really? You're going to let me come in your house? And he goes, yeah, come on in. We'll show you what we did to the place. And I was just astounded that a stranger would let me in the house, but he did. So I walked in the house, and it was a lot smaller than I remember because I'm a lot taller now. But there was the kitchen. There was the bathroom. And then we entered the room where that trauma took place. And it was the perfect opportunity because it was a safe environment with safe people, and everything was under my control. And I had an opportunity to release this once and for all and heal from it. And um, I decided to put my hand on the ceiling because I could reach it now and uh, look down at where I believed it took place. And I just came to peace with it. I don't even know what happened. I think I might have connected with my inner child there, my four-year-old self, and just said, I'm here. Everything's okay. I love you. You're going to be fine. Forget what I did there, but it was definitely a healing moment. And it was the perfect opportunity to reintroduce an old trauma in a safe way under my control. When you can do this in any way, shape, or form, if you can do this, I believe it can be very helpful. And be aware that it can be very traumatic. If you are really in a bad space with what happened, that's when you know you might need to talk to someone else or at least have someone do this with you so that you have some sort of support system. That can be very important. But I was so grateful that they let me in the house and I thank them and I still think about them today and I hope they're doing well. I, I got to send them an old picture or something <laughs> where when I used to live there. But that's an example that when you're able to introduce elements in a way that it's under your control, then you can sometimes heal. You can sometimes get past the trauma. It can be one of the many ways. So I hope this helps. I want to thank this person for writing to me. And I know there's a lot to discuss in the message that you sent to me. But I hope um, everything I talked about today is helpful to you. I have another uh, portion of an email to read. I'm going to read during the outro of the show. And uh, maybe that will be... Uh, a little bit of additional information that can be helpful as well. But thanks for joining me today. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and goodbyes and my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to head over to nativedo.com forward slash brain and take advantage of 20% off your first order of native deodorant. That's nativedeo.com forward slash brain. Check them out today. And I want to thank the patrons of the week. The patrons are the financial backers and supporters of this show. Anyone can become a patron over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I am so, so grateful for these people, and I read a new list of people every week just to thank them for their support. Like new members Kay and Tracy, they've been supporting the show for two months. Thank you, Kay and Tracy. And Kate, you're a generous supporter. You started two months ago as well. Thank you so much for your support. 
Angel for three months. Thank you, Angel. Nikki for four months. Amy for five months. James for 21 months. Christy for 22 months. And the numbers keep going up. Thank you, Nikki, Amy, James, and Christy. And Karen for 37 months. Wow. Another generous contributor. Thank you, Karen. And of course, Crystal, 38 months. So good to have you on board. So good to have you as part of the program. And thank you for your financial support for the show. It absolutely goes toward everything that we do over here on the show. Keeps us paid up, you know, hosting plans and things like that that keep us online. I appreciate all of you. Thank you all patrons. If you haven't heard your name yet, you will coming up pretty soon. And if you want to join the patron program to support the show, head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you can join. And of course, when you give as a patron, you get back as well because I have all kinds of private episodes and workbooks and worksheets and uh, video archive in there that you haven't heard or seen on my regular website because I don't put them there. I put them in the patron program. So thank you again, patrons. I appreciate all of you. And I want to let you know about the Love and Abuse podcast. That's my other show. If you are in a difficult relationship and you're dealing with circumstances that uh, you just can't figure out what to do, you may be able to tune into an episode over there that uh, helps you out. It's at loveandabuse.com. It um, is for anyone that is maybe dealing with control or manipulation or even emotional abuse. We talked a little bit about that today. And that show specializes in those topics. So I hope that helps you as well. Loveandabuse.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. I'm going to read you just a tiny little portion of an email that I went back and forth with a client a few, I don't know, months ago. And she wrote back to me and said, you know, this person said the following to me. He said, I had poor emotional intelligence, I had poor communication skills, and I have poor relationship skills. And she just was really down on herself. And of course, it was hitting her self-worth. And this doesn't necessarily tie in with uh, PTSD or emotional triggers, but at the same time, it does because we can hear things like that from people in our lives and we can take that with us. Those become the new markers for PTSD that when we go into other situations that we might think that we are poor in these things, that maybe we are a terrible person or we just aren't smart enough or good enough or lovable or worth anyone's time because we believe this crap. I really do. We, I mean, this is what happens is we, we sometimes believe false information from disreputable sources. We think that the person that's telling us is a reputable source, but they're really not. And so we might accept their comments about us as truth. So I wanted to mention this particular email because I wrote back to her and I wanted to read back what I wrote to her, and it's just a, a three-line thing here. I said, wow, someone who tells you that you have poor emotional intelligence, they lack emotional intelligence. Someone who tells you that you have poor communication skills has very limited communication skills himself. And someone who tells you that you have poor relationship skills really doesn't understand how to relate to people. So I wrote that back to her, because I realized how many things that people tell us that they themselves are inefficient in or simply not very good at or haven't learned yet. I mean, how many judgmental people that you know are fully accepting and loving and kind? Well, that's probably an unfair statement because 
there are many judgmental people that are also kind and they're caring, but how many highly judgmental people do you know are accepting? That's a good question because if you know someone who is highly judgmental and they're putting you down, you really can't expect them to be accepting and caring and and maybe unconditionally loving. Just like this person, she said that he said, I have poor emotional intelligence. If you tell someone that they have poor emotional intelligence, that is an emotionally unintelligent way to tell them, (laughs) which indicates that they are not a good source for that information. If somebody says that you're terrible at relationships, they are not a good source for telling you how to relate to people because they're putting you down. It doesn't make any sense. Consider the source. Consider the source because what's happening here is that some people will put you down in what they lack. In other words, people who are not good at accepting you will call you judgmental. They'll call you unable to accept people or unable to accept their flaws. People who are not very supportive will call you unsupportive. I mean, this isn't black and white. This isn't necessarily tit for tat. It's just a reminder that some people will tell you things that are absolutely untrue and you'll believe it's true because you might not assess that where the information is coming from is from someone who does not embody the qualities of what they're talking about. This is akin to taking financial advice from somebody driving a 1982 Toyota where the driver's seat was ripped out and it's a milk crate (laughs) and uh, they have no extra income themselves. Not that a car is something to judge someone's worth by, but when you hear someone give you financial advice and they don't really have any money to invest or spend, it might not be the best source. I'm not saying it's not possible. I mean, it could absolutely be possible, but when it comes to you carrying something around inside you that you believed that someone said about you, that is a big deficiency in them, not you. Because healthy behavior does not include putting someone down, making them feel bad, making them uh, hurt, making them feel unworthy or unlovable. When somebody does that, they are deficient in many things. And they are not a good source of information. Therefore, you can't trust what they're saying about you. In fact, when anybody ever says anything that insults you or offends you or hurts you, at the personal level, not like your job performance or something that you could have done better. I mean, we're going to hear that from other people, sure. But I'm talking about the personal level. Like, you're not even a good enough human being. You have to realize that the person saying it can't be a good enough human being themselves because they said it. That could be a judgment on my part, but I think that when somebody puts you down and insults you at the very personal emotional level, they aren't accessing their humanity. So they may need some healing or they need, they need to work on themselves, whatever it is. But don't take that as your truth. Take that as their deficiency And then you won't carry around a sense of unworthiness or unlovableness or thinking that you're not good enough or smart enough or doggone it, people like me. (laughs) That's an old reference to a skit from Saturday Night Live. But you get what I mean. You are worthy, you are lovable, and you are brilliant. 
And if you don't think so, then why are you listening to a show that helps you improve yourself? There's no reason to listen to it unless you're already smart. So that's why I love coming on the air because I know I'm talking to smart people. Only smart people want to improve themselves. The people that aren't so smart are the ones that are closed-minded and don't think they need any help and don't want to listen to anyone else and think they're perfect. Um, I shouldn't say they're not smart, but I'm just saying that when you are listening to a show like this, you're probably more open-minded and you're probably smarter than the average bear. (laughs) So I appreciate you. Thank you again for tuning in. And remember to always keep an open mind because... This is what helps you step into your power and create the life you want. It also helps you be firm in your decisions and actions. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.